You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you here. Um, next week, we have Ted Kim, who is um, the senior pastor of the Evanston, Illinois Vineyard. And um, I was thinking back, the last 27 years that I've been in ministry, one of our, um, one of my, um, one of the things we would do is, um, I wouldn't preach every week. And there are several reasons for that. Um, I don't care how good you are, I don't want to hear you. 52 times a year, number one. Number two, do you have 52 good things to say? <laughs> but it, it broadens us to hear different voices, different perspectives. And so we'll bring people in from the outside. We'll have some people from the congregation. Of course, um, I'll speak as well. But uh, Ted... Kim is really um, a good fr- a friend of John Marks and, and some of the other guys here. He's a tremendous pastor, so we're going to welcome him next week. And I just wanted to let you know that's what we were doing. So he's going to be here, and uh, that'll be good. Say that'll be good. Have some faith. Have the faith of God, the Bible says. My title today, it's... Um, based on the prodigal son is there you are. Say that with me together. There you are. Now point to somebody and I know how it's set up. You may have to do this twice. I want you to point to somebody and say, there you are. There you are. There you are. In closing, <laughs> I figured if you actually know where you are, you're making progress, right? But um, we're continuing our spiritual formation series called Summer of Story. And we're exploring the ways our stories form us. What's your story? Where does it come from? Most importantly, how can we live from God's story, the story of God, so that our lives will flourish, experience meaning, and be meaningful? So the story of Jesus and the stories Jesus told contain life-transforming truth. And truth is like seeds. Seeds contain power. They store life, energy, actual genetic details, of a plant species. All that's in a seed. Well, the word is like, words are like seeds too, particularly the words that Jesus spoke. He said, the words I speak unto you are two two things. They are, I thought you were Christian. I'm sorry, spirit and life. The words I speak unto you, he said, are spirit and life. So you could say the stories of Jesus contain the genetic details of our God-given identities. And when we can internalize these stories, they will renew our minds and transform us. They remind us of who we are. 
Legalism is trying to change internally by things we do externally. That's legalism. The grace of God works differently. It works from the inside out. And so we can, we can assume this. God can be doing something remarkable in your life. God can be doing something in your life you don't even see yet that's already inside of you that hasn't worked its way out of you. And so what that tells me is there can be messed up people with awesome things inside of them that are just in the working out process because God works from the inside out. And that's an important thing to realize. So we're going to look, um, this is the second part of the parable of the prodigal son, and I'm not going to get all the way through it either this week, but my first message is the July 3rd podcast at queencity.church on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So you can go back and listen to that. But I'm not going to cover all of the ground um, in that parable. I'm going to sort of jump into the middle of it. But Background on the parable is the prodigal son involves two brothers, a younger one who takes his inheritance early and wastes it on self-indulgent living, and his older brother who stays home and behaves himself. And um, so that's sort of the background of um, the story. It's in, um, what is that, Luke 15? Anyway, verse 17 of whatever chapter that's in. <laughs> If you have a Bible, you could easily discover where it is. But we, we find this phrase that has really leaped, leapt out at me. Verse 17 of Luke 15 says, but talking about the younger brother who wasted his inheritance at a given point, the Bible tells us, but when he came to himself... And that phrase has really, really been speaking to me. When he came to himself, he said, I will arise and go to my father. So we have a picture of the youngest of the two brothers who comes to the end of himself. Anybody ever been there to the end of yourself? Um, it's both a scary place, but maybe a foundational place. But he remembered life was better with his father. The idea of the younger son coming to himself opens up to me this idea that we can forget who we are. And, and I believe as believers, it's not just that we can forget who we are. We have never discovered who we are in some ways. And it doesn't take you long to read through the Gospels and the letters of Paul, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, to realize that we live way beneath the revelation Paul had of what it meant to be a believer in Christ. Um, but I've been thinking about this idea of the younger son coming to himself. And um, I've been working through this idea of forgetting who we are I remembered the movie Hook starting, uh, starring Robin Williams as Peter Pan and Dustin Hoffman as Captain Hook. How many of you actually saw that? It's been, oh yeah, look at that. Great, great, great. Well, 
It's based on the original story of Peter Pan. And Peter Pan, the original story revolves around three children from London who are magically transported to Neverland by a boy named Peter Pan who's decided to never grow up. And Neverland is a children's paradise full of fun and adventure where you never do grow up. But there's a problem. In Neverland, there's danger too. Evil pirate Captain Hook. Great if you got an itch. Doesn't captivate the women though, so anyway, that's terrible. Captain Hook threatens to harm the children in the original Peter Pan. Eventually, Peter Pan saves the three children and he goes back with them to London and he decides to stay in London, grow up. I guess grown up's good, but maybe grown up can be bad too. Grow up, but he marries one of the three children named Wendy. That's sort of the basic Peter Pan original story. But in this movie, the unimaginable happens. Peter Pan, played by Robin Williams, Peter Pan has grown up and has forgotten who he is. He's now Peter Banning, a selfish, none of this applies to anybody here, workaholic, I'm sure it doesn't apply, who largely ignores his children. Doesn't apply, I'm sure it doesn't. Now, his old adversary, Captain James Hook, has kidnapped his kids to entice Peter back to Neverland for one final battle. So Peter returns to Neverland to save his children and the um, description of this said it was up to his trusty fairy sidekick, Tinkerbell. Let's substitute Holy Spirit for Tinkerbell. And the lost boys, well, we've all been a lost boy or a lost girl at some time anyway. It's up to them to jog his memory and make him remember who he really is, who he really is, so he can save his children and take them back to London. And so we have, um, we have a clip we wanted to play. And um, let's take a look. Never to grow old. Peter. 
nose got real big. Well, welcome back to Neverland, Panda Man. <laughs> so, that little boy knows that Peter Pan is still inside Peter Banning. So he begins to look into his eyes. He pushes, he squeezes his face to make him look younger. And he looks and he looks. Then what does he say to him? There you are, Peter. Well, Peter realizes he can think happy thoughts again. He realizes he can fly again. And so the cynical, crusty, critical businessman discovers who he really is. And by doing that, saves his children, overcomes the evil Captain Hook. I have this announcement to make this morning. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a Captain Hook who's after you to destroy you, to humiliate you, to steal your children. And he will stop at nothing to destroy them and compel them and intimidate them and lie to them to become the people they were never intended to be. What do we need to do? We need to recover who we are. We really do. There's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake. Churches, you know, going to church, you can think, well, you know, what, what am I doing here? Well, there's a, there's a lot at stake. You know, you making a connection with another person and, and putting an effort. And this isn't a con to get you to come to church. Maybe it is. I don't know. I'm a pastor. What are you going to do? But the reality of it is, the reality of it is, if you don't make the connections you're supposed to make, if you don't discover who you are, and if you don't have the right um voices speaking into your life, and I'm really primarily not just me, I'm talking about the word, the reality of the word, the message of the gospel. If you don't make connections, if you don't develop relationships, there are people that are going to suffer for it. That's the truth, because there is a Captain Hook. And he doesn't care how crusty and worldly-wise you get and how much media you consume. Um, but we need to recover that joyous, recover the joyous, courageous, inspired, energized men and women who become childlike again in their relationship with God. Because you have to come as a little child to believe the outrageous absurdity of the real gospel of Jesus. You really do. Um, 
The Bible says unless you come as a little child, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's not like a threat from Jesus. It's like a revelation from Jesus. I don't believe Jesus is too much in the threatening business. I think he wants to energize. He wants to inspire us. He wants to enlighten us. And see, here's the thing. You were created in the image of God. Jesus Christ is in you. Paul wrote, unless you be reprobate. But what he meant there, Jesus Christ is in you unless you have failed the test. And failing the test doesn't mean so much misbehaved. It means failing to perceive what the gospel of Jesus Christ really means. You haven't seen who you are. But Colossians 3, 10, and 11, it says that we have put on the new man, this being renewed unto knowledge after the image of him that created him. Paul goes on and says, where they can't, cannot be Greek, Jew, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bondman, freeman, but Christ is all in all. And what he's saying there is, we need to be renewed after the image of Jesus, after the image of him that created him, and not after the image of um, certain aspects of culture or cultural differences. But you are more in Christ than you ever imagined. If the gospel hasn't sh um, struck you as being too good to be true, you haven't seen it in its profound depth. But you can be more in Christ than you could ever be in yourself. And he's more in, the, in, the, in you than you've ever imagined. There is capital S, someone in you, you may have forgotten about. Maybe you never fully recognized the one who's in you. Have you forgotten who you are? This morning's question. Have you forgotten and, and, and I know this to be true spiritually. Many of us have forgotten almost in a, a mystic cosmic way where we never knew. See, here's the reality. Jesus Christ didn't just come for us so that we should strive after the Nazarene walking the dusty trails, speaking profundities striving, what would Jesus do? Striving, working. Now, he didn't just come for us. He came as us. Meaning that when you look into the mirror of the gospel, you should see in that mirror of the perfect law of liberty, you should see Jesus that's the image into which you have been created. That's the purpose. Can you hear that? Christ in you, the hope of glory. But it's easy to forget or it's easy to never have even recognized this. But have you forgotten? Have you gotten, forgotten who you are? There's another story in the Old Testament about a man named Gideon. Yeah, you, who's familiar with the story of Gideon? Yeah, Bible, usually in Sunday school you hear about it. 
Well, he was another man who didn't know who he was. He didn't know what he was capable of accomplishing. And during the time of the judges in Israel, judges preceded the kings, kings preceded the prophets. That's sort of chronological, general chronological order. But during the time of the judges, the nation was being oppressed by the Midianites. And the Midianites stole the Israelites' farm equipment and then anything they harvested They would come down during harvest and steal it. But then God decided to do something about it. And he decided he was going to do it through a man named Gideon. You find this in Judges chapter 6. And the Bible tells us that the angel of the Lord came and sat under an oak tree, which was in Ophrah. My watch is talking to me. Be quiet. Oh, I'll take it off and it'll stop. Sorry. The angel of the Lord appears to Gideon, but what he does, he sits down under an oak tree. It's amazing how many times angels show up, they're sitting on something. They're sitting on a rock at the resurrection. They're sitting on a tree stump here with Gideon. And they're sitting because they're just simply not worried about anything, no matter what the Midianites are doing. And they're trying to impart heaven's viewpoint of resting and trusting and knowing who we are. Heaven needs to tell us who we are because we don't know. So Gideon is threshing wheat in the wrong place, in a wine press. You thresh wheat on a high place in the wind. You stomp on wine in another place, sort of enclosed, because he was afraid the Midianites were going to steal his harvest. And so the angel appears to him. So you've got this very calm, remarkable, probably scare you half to death if you saw him, angel. And here's what the angel says to Gideon, who is afraid and threshing wheat. He says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said, you must have the wrong guy. He said, if the Lord's with us, why has all this happened? Anybody felt that way? If God is who he said he is, why has this befallen us? Well, that's what your faith's for, ladies and gentlemen. When everything falls apart, nothing works. The devil whispers. Maybe your friends whisper. He goes on, where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But I'm going to tell you something. Cynicism, negativity, I don't care how you paint it, what brush you use, how you, you know, doctor it up. When things happen to us, it's not healthy to act like they didn't happen. But glorifying them will not get you from there to where you need to be. And so this is where Gideon is. And the Lord, through an angel, speaks into his life contradictory heavenly truth. And Gideon just wants to fuss about it because he has been so inundated in his mind and in his circumstance. So the Lord says, Almighty man of valor, 
And Gideon's going like, I don't, what? Me? And then he says, the Lord is with you. And he says, well, how can he be with me? Look at my life. And so, um, and he says, the Lord's forsaken us. He's delivered us in the hands of our enemies. And so it says in verse 14, the Lord looks on him and says, go in this your might and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? In other words, the Lord's just ignoring all the reasoning and concepts Gideon has. It's like he doesn't even tell him he's wrong. He just tells him what heaven says and heaven sees and heaven knows as a higher truth than the natural, experiential, carnal, dark mind that we often resort to. Come on. The Lord ignores his complaints, doesn't answer his question, and says, go in this your might. He's thinking, what might? And you shall save the whole nation from the hands of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Isn't it obvious? And he's going, no. Well, that's the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. We hear what is not obvious. That you have been raised. You have been seated. You have been filled. You have been blessed. You have been sanctified, justified, glorified. Everything, it's every single thing I just said Paul declares in the New Testament in the past tense. And so we have to begin to realize that the gospel is not a thing we mature into through getting our brains beat out and suffering all kinds of calamities. It's more a place of a different awareness of what we have. Come on. Gideon says, how am I going to save Israel? I'm from a poor family and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord says, surely I'll be with you and you shall defeat the, the, the Midianites. The Lord just says, I'm with you. Take my word for it. <laughs> Here's what happens. Gideon has to be proven to several times. And finally, he rallies Israel and defeats the oppressors in the second greatest victory in the entire history of Israel, the commentators say. I have an idea. Maybe we should let heaven tell us who we are. Let me say that a different way. It'll make more sense. Maybe we should let heaven tell us who we are. Look at somebody and say, there you are. There you are. Who's in there? Have you forgotten who you are? Have you ever known? Have you forgotten that you were washed? 1 Corinthians 6.11. Paul talks about all the works of the flesh, greed, theft, immorality, murder, then he says, this is what some of you used to be, but you were washed clean. Listen, you were made holy to God. You were made. You don't get right with God. You discover you have been made right with God through the work of the cross. You've been made right in God in the name 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you forgotten you're free? Romans 8, 1 and 2. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, past tense, has made me free from the law of sin and death. Have you forgotten you were forgiven? In Colossians 2, verse 13, listen to this, this is remarkable. When did this happen? And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. And what we don't realize is he did this before he ever created the world. Before there was ever an Adam and an Eve and a fall, there was a God who knew you and a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before you had a need, he had a solution. Have you forgotten that your old nature died? This is a good one. Come on, Lord, you're messing with me now. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. If then you were raised with Christ, resurrected, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above not on things of the earth. Here's news. For you died. That's Paul's revelation. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When did you die? You died when Jesus died. When were you raised? You were raised when he was raised. Did you know that? Oh, okay. I got two watches. One's off and one I'm ignoring. <laughs> Have you forgotten that you were resurrected with him? Have you forgotten you were seated in a place of honor and authority? Have you forgotten that you were loved with a great love? Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. But God, who is rich in mercy, what's God rich in? Mercy. Because of his great love, which, which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses. It doesn't say even when we repented. It said even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised us up together, made us all sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, when my daddy told me to sit down and stay down, I stayed. I'm going to tell you, when God sits you somewhere, you're seated. But if you don't know it, you don't understand it. See, the gospel is like that ticking clock to Captain Hook. You remember that part of Peter Pan? That was the alligator crocodile that bit his hand off. This is what the gospel is. It's alarming to our adversary because it strikes at the very root of legalism. It strikes at the very root of making excuse. It strikes at the very root of living in a less than Jesus way, which is what we have been called to. And 
Luke 15, have you forgotten that once you were lost, but now you are found? The idea about being found, you can't lose something you don't own. You can't lose something you don't own. And if we're found, it's because we were always his. We were always his. We were always his. And he was always looking for us. James 1, 23 and 25. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. So you see yourself in Christ in the word. He observes himself. You see who you really are. But then it says he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was, what kind of person. You want, one of the things that troubles me about being a, a Christian is I have to stay up to date every day. I can wake up every morning with crazy thoughts, which I thought I should be over. How many of you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And so there's a constant renewal a renewing of your mind. Well, the things I'm, I'm saying today are outrageous. The only problem is, this is what Paul taught. Pa- Paul taught, there were three kinds of churches. This is pretty interesting to me anyway. There was the Jer- Jerusalem church, which was led by sort of spiritual superstars, Peter, James, and John. James, John's brother got killed. And then Jesus appeared to his brother, James, and James became like the prolific part of the Jerusalem church. That everybody, a lot of people think, oh, I want to be like the first century church. Well, I don't. Why? Well, they had all things common. It was awesome. They had all things common, and they went broke, and Paul had to take up offerings from other churches to support them. That's my viewpoint, having lived in a Christian community for eight years. I know a little bit about that. It doesn't work like you think it's going to work, and that's idealism. That's not the gospel. So you had a superstar church. Then you had the Antioch church. It was like a revival, skyrockets, flares, apostles. All that was going on, and that was a good thing. But then you had the church at Ephesus. In the church of Ephesus, Paul taught his Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Romans concepts for three straight years for five hours a day. And I think it was the school of Tyrannus. And here's what happened from Ephesus. The whole city was in an uproar because what Paul was teaching people about who they really are disturbed the manufacturers of the idols for Diana. And they beat Paul up and they stoned him and they threw him out of the city for dead. And then he got back up and came back in and kept doing what he was doing. And the Bible tells us all Asia heard the gospel because they began to see who they were in Christ, that he was bigger than a savior. He was a life force, an internal identity person. Or you can look into the mirror and you can forget who you are and you can go through your life, listen to all the rabble that goes on in these minds that need to be renewed, right? So, one of the parts I didn't get to in the prodigal son was that when he came home, his, he came home 
to pay his dues. How many of you remember that part? He came home, he said, well, first of all, he thought, ooh, I could go home. I'm broke. I'm tired of wine, women, and song. I've become debauched. <laughs> That's a great word. <laughs> Debauchery. He said, but even the slaves eat well and have left over in my daddy's house. I'm going home. Here's what I'll tell him. He could be mad at me. I'm going to tell him something so he won't be mad anymore. I'm going to say, hey, listen, let me just be a servant. And so on the way there, his daddy hikes up his garments, which was a shame for an older gentleman in that culture to show their legs, and ran to meet his son. Why? Because there was a practice in those days that if a person went to the world, lost their wealth, the entire community would shun him, reject him. They would literally break a vessel and say this relationship is broken and cannot be repaired. His father shamed himself to spare his son from that shame. Brought him back. His son starts to spiel about I've sinned and just heaven. And, and, and his, his father says, put on the robe, give him mine. Give him my ring. Put shoes on his feet. He's not a servant. Killed the fatted calf. What was the fatted calf? The fatted calf was a calf they fed for special occasions when someone returned from a long trip. And then they had a celebration. See, that's the gospel. The moment you meet Jesus, he gives you everything. Boom. And you spend the rest of your life figuring out what happened, what we have, how to walk it out, how to live in it. We battle in our minds. We battle with our neighbors. We battle with whatever. But he gives us everything. Bam. And if it doesn't happen through the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection, it's not going to happen. Because when Jesus died, he said, this is all that needs to be done. It is finished. Well, Robin, that's hard to believe. I know. That's why I'm talking about it. We don't believe it. I don't believe some of this. You know, I'm like hypocrite one in the house this morning. Nevertheless, this was Paul's personal revelation from Jesus Christ, he says about the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, you have more than you know. You may not be who you think you are. Here's one thing I wanted to do. Um, for those of you who haven't volunteered, we have, um, we have a volunteers meeting before church, and it might be better meeting than this one. <laughs> nah, it's good, though. And Christopher had an observation, and it was about people being brokenhearted. And when I, here, here's what's going on in churches all over the world. Churches all over the world are trying to figure out all over again who they are. Let me ask, how many of you have been in this church for 12 years? Less than six or eight. Yeah, there you go. 
How many of you have been here more than five years? Maybe 10 more. Well, guess what we're trying to figure out about the rest of you? We're trying to figure out who you are. We're trying to, to see every church after COVID, almost without exception, is reevaluating who they are, where they're going, and what they need to be doing. A friend of mine started a church, and another friend, some people don't think the way you think they should think. I think that's true. He said to him, okay, we're starting this church. What's it going to look like? And the guy that now has responsibility for 300 churches said, how would I know? He says, what do you mean, how would you know? He said, well, I don't know what building materials the Lord's going to send. How could I know what it's going to look like? See, you don't, pastors don't build the churches they want. They build the churches they get. I mean, you can have one you don't even like, and you're in charge of it. I've been there before. I'm not there now, but I have been there before. I think, oh, Lord, what have I done? But one of the things that I think's happened is, is a lot of people have some form of brokenheartedness. And see, that's one of the things... Jesus has already cured. That's the gospel. But we have to become aware of and lay hold of. Jesus used to preach Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. What would good news to the poor be? You're poor, too bad. No, it may be you don't have to be poor. Maybe there is something God wants to do about that. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. The one who has been sent to heal the brokenhearted is in this room this morning. But he's not only in this room this morning. If you're in Christ, he's in you. But he needs to be released. He needs to be acknowledged. You know, everybody says we're looking for, they call it an outpouring. How many of you have heard that? Revival's an outpouring. Well, why don't they call it a downpour? Because it's not a downpour. It's when people get stirred up to realize what God's actually done, and it pours out. Jesus in John chapter, whatchamacallit, said probably 10, maybe 6, I don't know. They change the chapter number sometimes when you're not looking. But he said, if any man is thirsty, let him do what? Come to me and drink, and out of heaven shall flow, no, and out of his belly shall flow drips and sputters and winkles and uh, rivers. Not even one river, maybe two, maybe three, rivers. So, Father, I ask that you would, if you're brokenhearted, and don't be ashamed, I'm going to stand up too, but I'm in the chair and I'm more comfortable this way. If you have anything in that brokenhearted realm and you would like for me to pray for you, why don't you stand up? 
Let's participate. Yeah, yeah, come on, I'm standing up. I'll stand with you. I've got some broken-hearted spots. Uh, you don't have to stand up. I know Jesus heals broken-hearted people that sit down. I know Jesus heals people that ain't even asking for it. It's the ones that seek him and get discouraged that scare me, but uh, he's good. So, Lord, Jesus, you proclaimed that you came to give people good news. Lord, this is good news. You forgave, you washed, you cleansed, you raised, you delivered, you healed, you blessed, you set free. Lord, we want to experience all that we have in you. And Lord, any here who are brokenhearted, let's do this. Let's just put our hands over our hearts, our natural hearts. Why don't, why don't you pray with me? This will work. Dear Lord, heal the broken places in me. that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you. He shall make alive, kickstart, energize, rev up, help, help, heal, deliver. He will heal you, everything that concerns you. I know it's hard to believe, but that's what he says. Gideon finally got it. And they celebrated a great victory. Oh, Lord, we celebrate your victory on the cross. And we ask that everything you paid for, everything you gave to us, we would be aware of. Heal the brokenhearted in this place, Lord. Let your power come. Let your power be manifest in these people this morning, Lord. Heal the fissures and the cracks. Lord, let your river flow again. The Lord actually gave me a promise this morning out of Luke 6.21, and it says, Blessed are the hungry, for they shall be filled. And blessed, listen, are they who weep, for they shall laugh. Lord, I believe you're going to bless the hungry. I believe you're going to bless the weeping. So we ask in Jesus' name that you would heal brokenhearted people this morning. Lord, let your power permeate. Let some people feel it. Let them know. Witness to him, Lord. Speak to him, Lord. Or tell him it's all right. Tell him it's all right.
I think the first thing the father gave that son who returned home was a robe. And that robe speaks of like Joseph's robe. Joseph's robe spoke of his father's love and his destiny. Well, some of you have had your robe stolen, but the robe the Lord has given you is in you. Your destiny can't be stolen unless you just really don't see it. So, Father, open our eyes to the incredible good news in Jesus. Lord, we don't ignore the pain, we don't ignore the problems, but we see their solutions. And we find them in you. We can find them in our relationships with one another in our lives together. So, and everybody said, amen. If anybody needs prayer, we do have some team that would love to pray for you. Um, Oh, don't forget your children. Please take them home with you. And um, God bless you. Have a great week. Till we meet again. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 